Hello, I'm Felix, and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about insulin pumps. All right, this is one of those moments where I have to remind you that I am not a doctor. Please don't sue me. Anything you hear here is, you know, good information, but you need to go and speak to a professional about it if you want to know more. Insulin pumps are those bits of kit which inject insulin into people's bodies uh, to regulate their blood sugar levels. They're used by diabetics and they can be potentially, you know, life-changing bits of kit. Uh, the benefits are, are really kind of broad, I guess. Uh, the, the, the things I've been told about are where people suffer with um, insulin problems whilst they're asleep and so therefore can't inject themselves or you know, perhaps they just struggle with maintaining uh, that level of insulin uh, by monitoring themselves and injecting the right amount and doing all the calculations and stuff that goes with it. These devices are, in theory, a lot more automated and so therefore don't need that interaction. They're small wearable devices, uh, the, the pump and the reservoir itself, and then you get other bits that go with that. So sometimes you might well have like a, a bedside charging device, or it might well have a, a bedside device that then uh, takes that data and sends it to the cloud, or sometimes you've got separate blood sugar monitors um, uh, that then communicate between the pump and your device, which would then be you know, a, a fully automated system rather than one that you have any intervention with whatsoever. And sometimes, you know, all of these bits work together. There might well be lots of parts in your particular implementation of it. What this means, though, in practice is that they are connected in a few different ways. Um, there's lots of like Bluetooth low energy, BLE stuff, but then there's also other proprietary protocols like uh, Connexus, um, which then connects to various other parts in that particular ecosystem, um, like USB dongles and, uh, and then upstream to things like web applications. I guess the the question that inevitably will come up on this is why would you bother hacking into an insulin pump and and I guess it's one of those another perfect murder scenarios you know is it possible to inject somebody with a large amount of insulin which then kills them um, without much of a trace now there's a lot of ifs and buts about whether that's possible and, and certainly whether or not you get away without a trace but that's the the kind of the concept and, and what people are concerned about there's also other privacy invasion type issues where you know you could potentially track somebody as they go around or you could identify the serial number of their devices and, and, and then maybe use that information in other ways against them later on Insulin pumps have a bit of a, a history of having vulnerabilities, um, and it's fair to say that uh, when you're when you're looking online, particularly, there's a lot of uh, reports about insulin pumps. They seem to be the thing that people go to. The gravitation uh, towards insulin pumps is is quite large when it comes to security claims and uh, and and even like proper research into them. Medtronic have uh, the undesirable limelight here. They seem to have more than their fair share of vulnerabilities, but that might not be quite as straightforward as that. There are certainly other organizations and other, other companies that uh, have had problems. For example, back in 2016, there was a company called Animus that had a, a vulnerability reported uh, against theirs. Um, Animus are owned by Johnson and Johnson, and uh, and they uh, published uh, like a whole series of stories and, and what have you about that, trying to get people's attention. 
as there's quite a lot of vulnerabilities uh, in this space, it's actually quite difficult to keep track of which vulnerability affects which product suite, or at least which component of the product suite. Um, so it's actually it's a bit of a mess from a consumer's point of view. I'm not sure anybody would ever really be able to know what their device is concerned with um, as far as the security vulnerabilities that are out there. There happens to have been several fairly high-profile vulnerabilities on insulin pumps, specifically, though, on insulin pumps, uh, reported in 2018 and 2019. Amongst others, there are others as well, but these ones are the ones that kind of got the the famous names out there um, as far as you know it, it being a first. Um, so let's have a deeper look into some of those. Uh, so CVE 2018-10-634, is, uh, is a Medtronic one, um, and essentially it's where the communications between the pump and any of those wireless accessories uh, are, are transmitted in clear text. What that means in practice is that there's uh, the potential for information disclosure in this instance, um, uh, and that that's you know less bad than quite a lot of the other ones. But it gets a CVSS score of four point eight, which is a medium on that kind of qualitative scale. Um, I guess it depends on exactly what information you are being uh, disclosed with, um, but it's probably not the worst thing in the world um it might well have some personal information in there as far as like identifiable stuff but it's going to be under that category of um highly protected information because it's medical in nature so it kind of gets a bit more angsty straight away just because of that to continue that though cve 2018 14781 is a similar vulnerability. Um, it's also against uh, that, that same Medtronic suite of, of insulin pumps. Um, and it's where you can do a wireless capture and replay attack. So this is where you can um, take from the air a, a, a transmission of some description and then be able to replay that and uh, and therefore you'd be able to um, you know get the insulin pump to do the same thing twice or maybe um, it's a different vector that you're looking for but you know the idea is that you get to do those same things more than once um, to me, this sounds like it's poor authentication. It might well have cryptography or you know some other thing there, but it's it's not necessarily very good crypto or it's not very good authentication because you shouldn't be able to just simply replay the same message more than once. There should be some counters in there to prevent that sort of attack. Um, it's reported that this can be used to cause insulin delivery. So that means if you capture the signal to the pump that says, you know, send some insulin now, then you could get it to do it again and again and again. Um, that's clearly not very good. But interestingly enough, this gets a CVSS score of 5.3, which is still within that medium qualitative boundary. I believe the reason that it's only at a 5.3 is because this requires the uh, the pump to be in a non-standard configuration and specifically this is about you know enabling the remote delivery of those sorts of messages um, so and apparently that's that's just you know not there by default so you'd have to actively turn it on 
All right, so moving on to CVE 2019-10964. This is yet again a Medtronic device, um, and it's uh, where the wireless protocol does not properly authenticate or authorize communications. Um, So this this is probably just simply unauthenticated uh, attacks, and therefore you can send it commands so long as you know what the commands need to be. Um, what in practice this means is you can do modification of communication, replaying communication, much like the previous vulnerability, um, or you can create additional messages uh, and send those on top of everything else that's being sent. And this one is reportedly uh, capable of changing the insulin pumps settings and causing again insulin delivery as you might imagine it sounds a bit more scary it gets a higher score so cvss 8.8 out of that 1 to 10 scale uh, so nearly at the top end there it's definitely a high and it's just below the critical level I think the the reason for it being below the critical level is because you still have to be within radio frequency range, which, you know, in in theory is is quite large, but in practice is probably sort of, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 meters, that sort of distance. Medtronic has got a whole set of web pages about security disclosures. Um, And that's, that's, you know, on on the surface of it, you kind of go, well, actually, that that probably is a bad thing because they've got so many vulnerabilities. But I would argue it's probably the other way around. The fact that they are publicizing their vulnerabilities means that they are clearly trying to take things seriously. Um, now, that that's fraught with, you know, detail and, and difficulties, don't get me wrong, but it's better than someone trying to simply sweep it under the carpet in, t- in its entirety. I would say that some of the vulnerabilities that they've got advertised on their um, on their security disclosures section, it, they do seem to have quite a long lead time to having any fixes in place. And I'm not blaming Medtronic here, but more the kind of the medical device industry as a whole. It's it's a highly regulated space, and so therefore things take a long time to get through the the kind of testing and and uh, rubber stamping phases that's required to release software in this space. For example, um, there's one that uh, was uh, disclosed on the 27th of June 2019, and there was an update on that on the 5th of January this year in 2023. I have a little bit of concern about some of the updates here. For instance, that very one um, that was the update was there to indicate that US patients should get an upgrade. They they recommend you get a different pump installed. What they then go on to say is everybody else outside of the US should contact their doctor to talk about security, you know, cybersecurity with a doctor. Now, I don't know whether I really need to point this out, but to me, that is a what are you talking about kind of a moment. No doctor is going to have any depth of knowledge about cybersecurity. They should be talking to me about cybersecurity and to their doctor about whether or not they get a different insulin pump. This is crazy talk. But anyway, that's what's there. It's also worth pointing out that on this Medtronic site, they're really keen on putting these nice big blue boxes that highlight a very specific message. And for example, one of them has on there, to date, no cyber attack, privacy breach, or patient harm has been observed or associated with these vulnerabilities. Now, I'd like to point out that the operative words in that sentence are observed or associated with. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't had any or there haven't been any, but actually I'd argue that I'm not sure they would ever know that these have been taken advantage of. You know, where is the forensic log that then could 
prove that these things were not taken advantage of. And even if there was a forensic log, I'm not sure they'd be able to identify that it was a malicious actor that actually triggered these events. It would record that they received a message saying, do a thing. But if that looked like normal behavior or was built up over time, then that would kind of blend in with the rest of you know, the logs on the device. I don't see how that would ever be provably a malicious device, particularly in some of these vulnerabilities where it's, you know, unauthenticated or, you know, very loosely authenticated uh, message communications. The other alternative here is that they have some form of like security operations center or SOC somewhere and that they're doing active monitoring of the logs and, and collecting all this sort of thing. The implications of that are, are, are kind of wild, really, when you start thinking about it, but probably isn't the case, let's be honest. Some of the stuff that I've read has also included like advice from Caesar um, or CISA. I like Caesar, but the advice that they were giving to patients is maybe not that great. So, for instance, um, it says restrict access to authenticated unauthorized personnel only and follow least privileges concepts um, apply defense in depth strategies disable unnecessary accounts and services and where additional information is needed refer to the fda forgive me but this is technically correct advice but it doesn't seem to cut it when it comes to your body you know and and actually how many of the patients who've got one of these devices fitted is going to understand what defense in depth is or least privileges strategies are i think this is you know not the greatest bit of advice to be honest with you um but anyway it is what it is now I'm going to come on to what I think is the really scary bit, and that's the supply chain problem here. Um, there are two examples in relatively recent history where the media said that the vulnerabilities that were disclosed might affect insulin pumps, amongst a plethora of other things, I might add. Um, these are CVE 2020-11896, and this is also known as the Ripple 20, and it's by a company called uh, JSOF or JSOF. And then there's CVE 2020-15858, which was disclosed by IBM X-Force Red. Um, so aside from some snazzy names, the, the fact is here, what they've discovered is, is actually pretty significant stuff. Um, the... Um, the thing is with these vulnerabilities they're kind of they're part of a library which is is built into uh, a whole heap of iot devices of all sorts of different sorts and what that means is that there's no certainly no public list of the affected devices and like model numbers and that kind of stuff but all of, all of the estimates you can come across even if you know you have to have a pinch of salt with the fact that it's coming from the media um they're expected to be very very high numbers and that's because it gets into all sorts i actually think the reason there's no public lists um is because nobody probably really knows um how on earth they would be able to keep track of where their software library has gone and, and what products it's been put in particularly when you think that this is spanning like decades of time um the number of people who will have touched that software and, and potentially packaged it into something else is huge the first vulnerability, uh, the, the Ripple 20 stuff, is actually 19 different vulnerabilities, um, and it's in software by Trek. That's the software library to handle networking. 
the second one by the IBM guys um, is a, a vulnerability in a module by Thales, which handles secure storage for cellular connectivity. And um, and this is it's a bit more physically involved. You'd have to actually be able to you know connect to the debug connections on the physical module to be able to take advantage of this one. But it, it's still kind of, I don't know, it's, it's pretty significant what you can do with both of these um, vulnerabilities. And the fact is that both of these, depending on exactly how they've been implemented, what the context of the device is, um, you could result in all sorts of different types of effects, you know, uh, cyber attacks of a variety of nature could happen as a result of these. So it's kind of it's kind of scary in a lot of ways really you know the the implications are are potentially massive but the kind of the unknown of it is the problem here really for me it's very important to note that apart from the media i can't actually find any confirmed association with these two vulnerabilities and any insulin pumps although they do get named as product types that they would be affected so there might be some truth in this in the background that's just not publicly available I actually think, though, this fact that there's no kind of association with this particular uh, set of vulnerabilities and uh, any particular products is because, um, you know, either there's actually not that many things affected, probably not true given the estimates. Um, It isn't being disclosed publicly, but people do know and they're working on it in the background. Or no one has thought to look at their own product set. They've gone, oh, yeah, that's, that's that's fascinating, if they know at all, but they're not associated that vulnerability with anything that they're involved with and therefore didn't go and have a look. I personally would guess it's the latter out of those three options. All right, so what do I think? Well, just as for repeat, really, um, I'm not a medic, so you know, do what your doctor says, and I'm, you know, I don't want you to sue me, so please don't do anything silly about this, but... Um, it's almost certainly better still to have one of these devices than to not have one if you need one for medical reasons. So, you know, think about actually not giving one up as a result of listening to this podcast, because it's probably a bad idea. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Go listen to the previous episode and I go into a little bit more depth there. What I would say is that if you have one of these actively look to try and apply software patches as soon as they become available as soon as it's practical again do it in conjunction with whoever is looking after you from a medical point of view though if you are responsible for making devices of this nature though i would suggest it's a really good idea to go away and make an s-bomb now an s-bomb is an s-b-o-m so software bill of materials and this is um um, it's essentially it's a list of all of the libraries and bits of software that are integrated into your product. And what I would say is it's probably a really good idea to get your suppliers to do the same thing as well. If you buy modules or libraries from third parties, get them to go away and do the same thing. Because that way, if a vulnerability comes up and it's made public or you're contacted um, because someone who manufactures these things uh, thinks you might be affected, you can go quite confidently and say, well, actually, our product has on its S-bomb this particular vulnerable component, and therefore you can take action and make a change to your system. I'd also suggest that it's probably a really good idea to bring in a specialist, particularly around some of these proprietary protocols, uh, to then 
try and do uh, some audit activities or some pen testing activities. Now, it's kind of difficult to get um, a specialist in a proprietary kit, but you can get a specialist in radio frequencies or in insulin pumps or you know something that is closely aligned with what you're looking at. And therefore, you'd still have that expertise to be able to go away and, and deal with whatever the task is at hand. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app. Tweet about it, post it somewhere, stick it on LinkedIn. We would really appreciate it. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic, or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch via email on helpme at yg.ht with at gotta underscore hack via Twitter or by searching you gotta hack that on LinkedIn. <laughs>